In this episode, we speak with Raghu Ravinatala, CEO of Yellow.ai, a global leader in conversational AI that delivers autonomous, human-like experiences for customers and employees to accelerate enterprise growth. Raghu co-founded the company with a vision to make customer and enterprise interactions more effective and effortless. Since its inception, Raghu and his team have successfully expanded the company's presence across the U.S., Southeast Asia, Europe, the Middle East, Japan, Australia, and Latin America, with over 1,000 customers in over 85 countries. Previously, he worked for 16 years with leading tech companies such as Texas Instruments and Broadcom across leadership roles in engineering, product management, and business development, both in the Bay Area and India. Raghu was recently recognized as one of the top 50 SaaS CEOs of 2023 by the Software Report. The company is backed by Salesforce Ventures, Sapphire Ventures, Westbridge Capital, and other notable investors. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to follow. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Raghu, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. Fantastic to be here, RJ, and thanks for the invite. So I'm very interested in in discussing conversational AI. I think it's going to be a big part of the way we interact with brands going forward, as well as the way we interact with each other in our companies. One thing I was curious about right off the bat was how complicated is it on the back end to generate the right types of responses to the queries you get from customers and employees? You know, from an outsider's perspective, it can look like there's a broad data set of potential responses that you can provide based on certain questions. It seems like the next kind of level of service in the conversation is to really hone in on what is the exact appropriate response to that question. So the question again was, how complicated is this on the back end? Great to be here. And I think the short answer is it is pretty complicated. Uh, while we have made terrific progress towards how this evolved over the last seven, eight years, I think there is uh, even a greater potential out there to be solved on how these responses t- could be the best they possibly can be. Um, if you can see a, a response of a brand to a customer, I think the context to be considered is the one or one is the possible set of responses, but also the historical context of the customer, what the customer has done before, the historical context of the brand, the information across the company, and also the right sentiment and the right way you want to influence the customer as well. So these are, you know, multi-dimensional, you know, multi-modal parameters, understanding the sentiment of the voice, uh, how the customer feels, and, you know, generating the response that appropriately takes them closer to what the company wants to achieve from that conversation. So it's a combination of multiple technologies, stats, and assimilation of data. And we are getting more and more human-like as we are upgrading the technology. But also we are taking the advantage of technology where the humans are not graded, which is speed and ability to assimilate a whole lot of data in a very short time. So taking these both abilities into the context, I think we are on that journey to 
make this human-like, but uh, scalable and fast. Clearly, you know, customers or companies have been very receptive to your solution. You have over 1,100 that are actively using your platform. The one question I had as kind of, you know, maybe a perspective, if I was the one, a consumer interfacing with a brand, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, I know this is a computer. This is a robot talking to me because it's like instantaneous responses. And when is the human going to come on and start interacting with me? Is that feeling happening? Or do people nowadays prefer just instantaneous response from a robot? That's a great question. The answer is a little bit more nuanced because the range of customer queries and problems kind of spread across being from purely transactional. I want to get a return for my product. I want to get the status of my flight. I want to check the latest bill amount to be paid. In all these circumstances, the customers really prefer getting the answers really fast rather than go through a five-minute, 10-minute call because it's absolutely straightforward. Areas where customers really want to connect to the agent is when they need that human voice to provide that emotional assurance. So let's say you know you're concerned about you know, the health and during the time of the coronavirus, people were concerned about, you know, getting onto a flight and cleanliness, et cetera. The chatbot or the voice assistant can provide all the information about the safety, but they needed that extra assurance of human telling that everything is perfect, everything is all right. So what we continue to see is I think the more and more aspects of the interaction are being positively pursued by the end customer while having the assurance that you know if something goes really wrong they can always is a human that can reach out to in fact the customer satisfaction rates that we have seen with the automated agents is much much higher than completely relying on human assistance so it's not just a cost measure but it's a huge customer experience measure of using technology like eloia and tell us about the spectrum of kind of use cases is this primarily for companies of a certain size? Is it more useful in certain sectors? This is more useful in uh, sectors where there are a lot of interactions for sure. So companies are talking to millions of consumers on a daily basis, and they in fact want to have more interactions, but it's limited by cost, right? So it's it's not scalable. The second area, apart from having a lot, lot of these transactions, is having highly repeatable interactions so would be about you know getting the returns out changing passwords providing leave updates so all of these transactional activities which have a high share of those interactions i think these two combination clearly indicate that the company can get a phenomenal return on investment by choosing conversational AI technology like eloia and how about in the food industry? So take, I think, Domino's maybe as one of your customers. How much of the volume, I guess, via text, or, or I, I guess the Domino's app, I'm not sure you know, how it's transmitted, but how much of that is driven by your technology? Domino's is a fantastic example. They automate their customer service both on chat and voice. So we have a chat-based interaction on their website and on their mobile app, but also on the telephony lines. The problem statement that Domino's came to us was, if you take the overall volume of interactions that support agents were having, 70 to 80% were customer service and 20% were sales. 
and they uh, wanted to flip that equation where a lot of human agents are focused on selling and a lot of the transactional elements around support are automated through bots right now we handle anywhere up to 70 to 80 percent of the overall support volume through automated interactions on chat and voice for dominoes right so it's a fantastic use case again it is a large number of consumers it ticks that box a lot of the interactions are fairly you know transactional where they want to get the order status delivery status or order return so it kind of fits into that core roi use case for conversational ai what are the other kind of good use cases where your your technology is is prevalent one retail is a very big sector so dominoes and companies that sell fashion sephora is a great example companies selling electronic equipment so entire retail and retail e-commerce cpg who have large consumers they are absolutely using this to automate customer support interactions and also provide great recommendations and conversions through their shopping cycle the second sector we see a huge adoption is financial services. These are banks that are providing loans and you know providing same services. And these have a large section of people constantly asking for updates on you know their transactions, credit card details, insurance, insurance details, claims, etc. So we're seeing a huge adoption in providing great experience from financial services companies. Third one that we are seeing is healthcare. Again, it's one of the very large segment where the patient care and providing information to the customers around appointments, et cetera. We're seeing that take off quite a bit. The last one I would say is the travel and hospitality. That's when people have you know, a lot of concerns, fairly transactional, huge volumes. These are like the top four sectors and use cases that we are seeing phenomenal impact of technology like yellow AI. I imagine that your solution is very sticky with your current enterprise customers, meaning that if you are able to kind of collect and store information on customers, you're able to offer even better kind of conversational service. For example, travel, if, if you're working with Marriott and they have certain customers that always have certain preferences, you can almost preempt the service that they want. Is that the case? Is it the case where you can have this long history of certain customers' profiles? Absolutely. And the core component to enable that kind of service is having a customer data platform integrated into the overall solution. So when we have interactions, when the platform has interactions with the end customers or sends out proactive notifications and proactive interactions, it not only takes the historical data of the customer within our platform, but also has the ability to pull in the customer history from the other platforms that they have been interacting with, be it mobile apps, be it their e-commerce website. So that gives a strong history of the customer and generative AI has made it even more simpler and easier to actually take all this personalization and drive these conversations as all of these can be used to build very specific individualized prompts that can individualize the conversation with the customer. So this is one of our key ROI drivers for you know driving up conversions driving up satisfaction driving up completion in taking you know data across multiple platforms and driving these interactions i'm wondering you know with all the advances that are happening and it almost seems like you know in very short sequences artificial intelligence is advancing rapidly what worries you like in terms of the technology do you think there could be 
a challenger that comes up and can kind of a stepwise function overtake yellow.ai? I think the biggest thing that kind of worries me, and that's the direction that we are driving to build our product to create deeper modes, is uh, one thing that startups and companies uh, fairly earlier into their cycle versus big behemoths in the market lack is distribution. So you want to create startups and you know companies like us want to create technology and, and data modes faster than the bigger companies can use their distribution to get new technology into the market. So our biggest worry or our direction is how are we building so that we have a capability that far exceeds what some of these big companies can provide with generative AI. So we are seeing that being automation first and having an automation-driven business model at the core gives us more agility and ability to fastly garner more customers and also build a full-stack solution rather than a point solution. So, so that, that's what I see and that's what worries me the most, RJ. You have a long history in the tech world. Is this your first kind of entrepreneurial endeavor? That is correct. So my question would be, how has this experience, I guess, surprised you? You know, I'm, I'm sure you thought about entrepreneurship previously and, and you thought of how it would be. What was surprising to you about how the journey has unfolded? Multiple surprises, I would say. I didn't expect this to be as tougher as it has been in the sense that you kind of feel that you have won several milestones and still there are so many to achieve. So it's more like a journey and lifestyle than a specific goal to achieve. So I think that surprised me. And that also gave me a lot of resilience because you're coming in here and I was uh, listening to an interview by the NVIDIA founder on one of the biggest trends is about the ignorance of how tough a journey can be, right? And that you keep pushing day in on, day out. The second, I think, a biggest positive surprise is how periodic successes that don't seem to be big on that day can add up over the journey period that uh, it looks absolutely massive. If I were to see that on the day that I started the company that it'll be this big and it'll have this potential, I mean, I wouldn't have believed this is like almost in a dream. But was there a single day that I felt like super successful that something big happened? I don't think that was the case. It's just that small, tiny wins happening amidst a lot of failures. I think those add up quite astonishingly in the journey. For example, we grew about 30x in the last four years. But every single day, we were always fighting and pushing. And it didn't feel like a great success every single day. Every single day, we were you know, failing, but maybe making very slight progress. But how all this add up is, it feels almost magical. So that's the super surprising part of the entrepreneurship journey. And you have marquee investors you know, backing your company. You have Lightspeed, Salesforce, Sapphire, Westbridge, et cetera. What's the role that they play you know, with you and your team? I'm very fortunate to have one of the best boards in this space. Uh, it's like a dream board and dream investors in the company. And all of these investors have played uh, several roles through the journey of the company. Lightspeed being one of our first investors when we were under a million dollars of revenue, they worked closely with us with a phenomenal conviction around how we are going to create a market brand, the countries to kind of go after helping recruit the early talent and also setting up the next set of fundraisers to for global expansion. 
And then we have investors like Sapphire, Westbridge, Salesforce coming in some of the later rounds where they've seen the growth stage companies around what are the strategies to win global markets, how to get to the CIOs and how to build a global brand presence. And they have seen, you know, several IPOs, just our board would have seen about 10 to 15 IPOs in the last five to six years. So, you know, very fortunate to work with that kind of broad and they can see the patterns that need to change and the patterns that we need to amplify to build a company that endures and, you know, builds a great global brand that's iconic over years. So, so that's the role that they play. And they are also uh, great folks to brainstorm about the strategy for the company and brainstorm about the risks and how we are managing the PNL and finances, et cetera. So yeah, uh, it's, it's been a fantastic board for us. And what's your ultimate goal, you know, with the company? Are you aiming for an IPO one day? Are you aiming to continue to build this over the decades? What's the end goal? Like, as I said, RJ, a while back, what surprised me is I think the longer you stay and longer you build, the rewards keep accumulating at the tail end than at the starting end. So I'm loving this entire process and this journey. So we want to do this for as long as possible and hopefully build a generational company, you know, that can stand the test of the time. So that's the ultimate goal. And, you know, for me, I see IPO and, you know, fundraisers and IPO is kind of fundraise, all these as milestones in that journey. So our goal is to try and build a really long-term enduring generational company. And can you give us an insight about either selecting co-founders or the best kind of philosophy around interacting with co-founders? Again, I've been super fortunate to work with two co-founders who have had the biggest influence and, you know, they are like family. There is a lot of, of course, general knowledge about co-founders need to be complementary and all that stuff. So I'll not get into that. I mean, that people would have read, but I think looking for some magic, right? So in the sense that there is a chemistry, there is a element that is not just to be seen objectively, but there is an element where you find some people and you just feel that there is some magic working and it may not be 100% logical from outside. I think, you know, just believing that intuition and that is the crux of it. Uh, I've seen a lot of companies which have, you know, experienced co-founders, complementary, one comes from consulting, one from, from tech, and I've seen a lot of companies fail, but where I have seen tremendous success is just, you know, it doesn't seem logical outside, but there's like a great chemistry and magic that's going around with the co-founders. So I would really look for that. Excellent. Uh, we're coming up on time. I have two final questions. One is, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? I think it's two people from a company building perspective, and two of them are my co-founders. And I really get a lot of energy from one, the optimism, the way that my co-founders have taken us through some of the tough patches and kind of resiliently delivered great things to drive the company. So it just gives me a lot of, lot of influence and positive outlook for the company. Excellent. Last question. Can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? I'm really passionate about leveraging technology to help humanitarian causes that 
a lot of organizations can't potentially afford to buy like an enterprise. And we as a company have been highly focused in enabling a lot of these with governments, healthcare organizations. And that is an area that, you know, I'm super passionate about. Excellent. Well, Raghu, thank you again so much for your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much, Arjay. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you.